Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. And I'm very pleased today to welcome Justin um, from um, Global HR. Now, we've been talking about enlightened leadership. And one of the things that I felt was important for you to have some um, opportunity to explore is what are the issues around HR, human resources? What should you be mindful of? And what would good practice look like? And so I've invited Justin to come and talk to us. She's an expert. I'm going to read you her bio because it will give you a flavour of, of her level of expertise and what she's got to offer you. Justin Brown is the CEO and founder of Just Global HR Services Limited, which she named after her family, her husband Graham, and her children Hannah and Samuel. Just Global HR Services provides strategic HR services for all sizes of businesses sectors and locations with a team of highly experienced hr professionals they provide hr support so you can get on and run your business they help companies who are looking to grow or transform just global hr services specialize in hr outsourcing hr consultancy hr on demand and coaching all of these services support businesses to improve its efficiency change the way they work and provide business growth. Just Global HR Services are dedicated to building strong relationships with its clients and provides a pragmatic, productive, proactive and results-focused solution for companies to help them change and grow. Just Global HR Services will help save you time, reduce risk and save you money. Now, whether you are a, 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 an emerging leader, a middle manager, or you are the owner of your business, ignore HR at your peril. You know, it's one of those things which if you don't do it right, it has the capacity to come and bite you in the bottom big time. So, Justin, thank you. I'd be really grateful if you could set out from your perspective What's the, what's the role of HR and why is it so important? Hi, everybody. Nice to meet you, Justine Brown. So, yes, I think HR is so important. How can you run a business that employs people if you haven't got a good way of treating those employees? So it all stems from your sort of culture and the way that you want your organisation to behave in the way that you sort of set out your vision and values as an organization and some of that can come from the top from the ceo and you you'll see these very inspiring leaders that have set up their companies and they've got a vision and they know where they're going to be and what they're going to end up and how they're going to grow but they can't do that all on their own they need experts along the way and 
it takes time to look after all your employees. So, you know, communicating with them all. How often do you ever communicate with your employees? Looking at the sort of strategic of how you're setting up your business. So when you set up, and especially a lot of small businesses, you know, they will just pay employees, which is great. But what's their strategy around that? Is it just that you just want to pay your employees and they turn up and they come and do their work? Or is there something more holistic that you want to provide? Are there sort of set benefits that you want to provide them to make it look like you're a caring employer? There's things around sort of employee engagement, diversity and inclusion. There are so many areas within a business that you might need to consider. And all of these areas can help your business grow and be a better business going forward. So I see sort of HR helps the leaders of an organisation. They can help you look at the strategy for the business. There is no way you can have a strategy meeting without somebody representing HR and employees in the room because you couldn't run your business without employees. So I see it as a very fundamental part of any organisation. Thank you. That's a great overview. And one of the really big sort of tenets of um, the Enlightened Leadership Programme is about being first and foremost leading yourself and leading by example, yeah. leading with integrity and compassion and the courage to do what's right, not necessarily what's easy. But at the same time to nurture and grow the people who work with you and for you and help them to become thinking, engaged um, employees who see themselves as a really integral part of the team. And at its best, it means that organisations flourish. But inevitably, if you have people, there are times when things can get sticky, aren't there? Yeah. How does having the right HR um, policies and strategies and support in place help leaders actually do the best for their um, for their employees so i think you know policies is a very interesting one because i think without the policies and i call it the structure you know the the reason that you're there and why you want sort of rules and regulations in the first place is i'm very much about treating everybody equally and treating them the same so, for example, if you didn't have a holiday policy, it didn't determine how many days anybody has and every manager just makes it up depending on which employees in front of them and which is their favourite. And some people get 28 dates holiday and some get 20 and this one gets 30. Then how is that fair on everybody that works in that organisation? And you may say, well, that's a silly one to choose. But yes, most organisations may say, OK, everybody gets 25 days holiday. But we've also seen it that if you're more experienced, you might get more holiday because you've been there longer. If you're of a different level, you get more holiday. But why is that? Yes. You know, have you ever thought and questioned that about your culture of your organisation as to why you're doing what you're doing and what sort of message that gives to the employees that don't get the same as somebody else that's sitting next to them? And that's a really simple one to choose, but that is the same with every policy, whether that's the yeah. sickness policy, whether it's about how you do home working, whether there's things and rules around um, benefits that are given to employees. As soon as you start putting in different levels for different people and treating them differently, you are, you know, you're getting that different class divide. So I think it's for me, the policies is all about how you want to run your business. 
and the culture and stuff. And if you don't have those sort of rules and regulations and you don't teach your managers what those are, mm -hmm. because this is how you want to run your business and this is how you want everybody to be treated, then you find that there are always exceptions are being given. And that is then very difficult for somebody that sees an exception because if somebody's been treated differently to them. So I think you have to think about everything that you're putting in place. And I think one of the, one of the most interesting ones recently, because there were changes in the bereavement um, legislation yeah. for when you lose a child. And, you know, think about it from yourself. And if you're running a business and you say to, right, if you lose your mother or father, you, you're allowed to take one day off. Is that really acceptable? And this is why so many people will go off sick and they get signed off and therefore they're not there for a week or two weeks anyway. Think about what you can provide as an organisation and what do you want that to say about you as an organisation? And I appreciate there's always going to be some businesses that are a bit tight in the way that they can do things and the amount of time that they can give off and etc. But this is all about how you get engagement with your employees. And if you only treat one badly, that goes around to everybody and they see that that's the way you get treated. Whereas actually, if you can have a sort of positive outlook, you can still have rules, but still treat people properly and fairly. People will understand that. I think that's a really good point. And for me, I think when people understand the why. Yeah. You know, if a rule's in place, it's got to have a purpose. Yeah. And often in organisations, particularly when I've gone into them and just started working, there are policies, you know, and they blow the dust off the, the folder and they're so out of date yeah. that they're laughable. I'd just like to come back to holidays for a moment because okay. one of the things that I know in many of the companies that I've worked with that has caused um, a challenge has been those people who have children who want school holidays and the fact that there aren't enough school holiday weeks if you're going to protect the business and only have a certain proportion of people off at any given time there has to be some way of divvying up the time in a in a fair way um, now generally speaking people without children are happy to go on holiday outside school holidays because it's cheaper and it's quieter um but you know i think the, the way in which you communicate and talk to people and negotiate whether it's holidays or bereavement time or whatever um it's down to the way in which the relationship that you have with those people and the communication that you have and that you need to be scrupulously fair as you say yeah and sometimes some of those decisions are left to the teams because depending on the size of your organization if you've got a team of say seven people you may say okay we can't all be off at the same time those seven have got to work it out amongst themselves yes. as well yeah. and whether that's on a first come first yeah. basis or it is based on everybody has to submit their holiday requirements for the year by this date and then it will all get considered and if any two people want the same week off then that will get discussed there's all sorts of fair ways of doing it. A bit like you sort of hear at Christmas, you know, teams will say, well, I'll, I'll stay in this Christmas and work, but I will want the Christmas off after, you know, and people just negotiate against themselves. I think it's ever so interesting because actually if you leave people to sort it out amongst themselves, I think sometimes you get a better outcome. Yeah. And I think one of the best ones for that is the working hours. So bringing in flexible working which I've done in a couple of organisations and everybody's panicking about, you know, well, how can we trust them? What time do we start? What time do we finish? 
And the most recent one I did, I did um, coming in at half seven was the earliest time you could come in and you could leave by sort of 6.30. And you could come in at any time from half seven to sort of half nine and you could leave any time from half three to sort of half six. So, and what you find is actually, you could get the telephones answered from 7.30 now till 6.30, whereas before we could only answer them nine till five. Yeah. But you find that people have a natural pattern of working and not everybody wants to work early and not everybody wants to work late. And actually by giving the flexibility, you actually have more capacity within the organization to serve your clients. And so it's, it's changing. And I think we've seen a lot of changes with the recent sort of lockdown and stuff and yes. the situation we're in at the moment. But it's sort of thinking how you can take the positives from some of that and how you can change the way that you're working. And the rules that you have now do not have to stay in place. I think if employees are asking for different things, I think you need to sort of sit and listen as a business owner and go, OK, well, what is it that would improve if I allowed that to happen? And I think, you know, taking a step to we're talking about enlightened leadership here. Yeah. And so very much working on the principle of you want the best um, for your staff and of your staff. Therefore, you have to be the best um, manager or leader or boss. Um, it's no good blaming them when something goes wrong. Ultimately, we've talked a lot about taking radical responsibility for yourself mm -hmm. and creating a culture of shared responsibility amongst your staff. And I think HR um, policies and, and structures are there to protect your staff, but also there to protect you um, as an employer. Um, and it's it's got to be fair both ways um, in line with legislation, which may not be something that you agree with, um, but actually those are the, the, I call them the lighthouses. So those are the things you have to navigate around rather than move. You can't, you can't get past the law. Yeah. How, but how are you going to make the law work in the context of your organisation? Yeah, and some of them aren't even law-based, are they? They're just the way you want to work. You know, yeah. if we talk about the flexible working, yes. you know, there's a lot of organisations still that would say, no, no, everybody's got to come in 9 to 5.30, so forcing the rush hour traffic yeah. both ways, and everybody's got to be there till 5.30. They can't leave at 5.15 because they haven't done their last 15 minutes. But actually, some flexibility around that, I bet you find that more people will get, work harder. You know, they, they come in at eight and they leave at four, but they've, you know, only taken half an hour for lunch and done the same amount of work as somebody else that's been yeah. in from nine to five thirty. I mean, the, the, the COVID-19 crisis was significantly challenging for yeah. pretty well everyone. But one of the things that came out of it is I can remember having a conversation with, with several people who had been told by their employees prior to the lockdown no you can't work from home it's not possible <laughs> uh, we can't make it secure we haven't got the infrastructure the answer is no yeah. and then people work from home the worry that people wouldn't work that they wouldn't be productive was for the vast vast majority of cases proved to be unfounded and you know they are probably those few who took advantage are probably the same few who were lazy when they were actually in the building because being in the building doesn't actually equate to being productive does it no no that's presenteeism and i can't stand presenteeism yeah it's one of my absolute bugbears from my first ever role yes. where 
when you've done all your work, you've been in early, you might have worked through your lunch break and you try and leave the office one minute early and you have a boss that says, no, no, you've still got one minute to work. And you think, yeah. you are absolutely joking me. I've been here early. I worked through my lunch break and now you're saying that I've got to stay until the last minute of the day. I would say that that's the very epitome of a, a, is an unenlightened leader or disenlightened yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the end, I don't end up doing it on purpose. And I love the flexibility that my role and stuff gives me now. But you just think, well, why am I pushing against that? But it's just the unfairness that they're not actually recognising all the hours that If you're a businesswoman who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome, who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no, well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach, and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-u.com or you can email Gina directly at gina at genuinely-u.com. Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self, who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at gina at genuinely-u.com. Hello there, and welcome back to the second part of today's radio show. As usual, I and Rachel Davidson, my good friend, uh, are going to have a genuine chat. And today's theme is about the balance between planning strategically and going with the flow. Now, if you've been listening to this show before, you'll know that both of us are number one international best-selling authors. However, the style of book that we write is very, very different. My books are all based on my experience and my expertise. They are, if you like, a reporting, a recording of what I've done and what's worked and sometimes what's not in order to help other people achieve um, the goals that they want to do. Rachel's books are very different. They're spiritual novels. She has a trilogy. They're amazing. Read them. Mm -hmm. 
but her books are very different genre and I suspect that we've got a very different approach. So Rachel, when you're approaching writing your books, are you a strategic planner? Are you a fly by the seat of your pants or are you somewhere in the middle? Um, in the grand spectrum, I mean, fi writing fiction is definitely different from writing non-fiction. Um, as you've said, I mean, writing fiction is all about imagination and creation and writing non-fiction whilst it is, it doesn't you know, exclude creation. Um, it, it is much more a case of gathering facts, experiences. Yeah. Um, uh, history, so to speak. Yeah. So, so if uh, fiction um, is, is, I guess if we're going to be a little bit sort of um, bipolar about it, uh, um, much more about creation. So this sort of, you know, looking into the future, this is why it links in, into, um, you know, planning your life sort of stuff. And I'm, I'm much more on the scale of panzer, as, as it gets called, fly by the seat of your pants, than I am in terms of planning. There's, there's one lady um, whose name I, I still can't remember, who wrote a book advising authors how to plan their novels so that you could write 90,000 words in three weeks. And she does this on a regular basis with her fictional novels. And that's because she spends about nine months pre-planning them. Yeah. Does that not actually count as planning? But let's leave that to one side for a minute. Well, you know, she goes down to what, what she's going to say in each chapter, what she's going to do in each scene. Yeah. She, you know, she, so, but she's not actually writing the narration, the, the story itself. She's just planning it. And then you come to the other end of the spectrum and Lee Child is probably one of the biggest author names who, who is well known for being a, he just sits down and doesn't even know what the character's doing. I mean, you know, he just sees where the character leads him. And, and so he totally makes it up <laughs> on the fly. Um, and I'm definitely more towards that, certainly have for the, for the three books that, I, that I've written. Although I have increasingly tried to um, look into the benefits of planning and frameworking um and and there definitely are benefits in the sense that um you know knowing what your main themes are and, and really knowing who your characters are and and you know the backstory of them and and so on and so forth is is extremely valuable my last book um the main one of the main characters who was completely new uh, a new character to to the trilogy um it took me a long time to feel comfortable with her and I was writing the book at the same time and um, that process wasn't negative it, you know it wasn't a pejorative thing um, but I was just conscious that I was taking my time to get to know her and so occasionally that that meant that the the general direction of the book that I wanted to write had to slightly slow down whilst I uh, got over my shyness whereas perhaps if I had got to know the character sort of offline so to speak when I wasn't writing um, the writing of the book could have gone quicker but you know what in the general sort of uh, rinse it rinse it out of life um it doesn't really matter what what matters most is sort of where you are in the moment and you know what you're what you're actually sort of where you are emotionally and certainly when it comes to creative things you know again i don't mean to give the impression that us creative types have a have a more sort of refined way about life you know if, if you've got to sit down and create an accounting spreadsheet it's still you know you've got to apply yourself and your your knowledge and your intelligence and you've got to work out why you're doing it and what the end objective is and that's kind of the same for when you're writing a a, a, a big old 
shamanic type journey to the lower world, for instance, you know. So, so as with most things, I generally come down to the line of, you know, it's got to be about balance because I, I am aware that, it, that of certain people who try to plan every aspect of their life. And, and I'm not entirely sure that they end up living it. I think they just end up planning it. Where I think it's a huge people, danger, isn't it, that, that people spend so much time in the planning mm. or they make everything so tight. It's got to be this shape. It's got to be in this time frame. Yeah. But actually, they miss out on the now and the enjoying the journey. And I know we've spoken before about people who, who, who have a goal that they never, ever meet or they have a goal that they've met and they never even recognize because they're so busy. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so there are some people I know who, who are really into the, you know, positive mental attitude and they're going to set themselves a stretch target and they give it all this very, you know, laudable, admirable speak. Well done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Set yourself a stretch target. Uh, and, then, and then to have done that and then not actually know if you've achieved it or not sort of it, it shows it shows a dysfunction in the mindset somebody who sets themselves a stretch target and then comes back to me in six months time and I say oh hey how did you get on with that and they say ah I missed it by two percent if somebody that has got you have a sense that they've got a handle on why they're doing things and what they're doing versus somebody who I say well, how did that that aspirational target go and they say oh god yeah yeah and then two days later, they come back to me and said, oh, apparently I achieved it in month three. And you think that that target didn't mean anything to you then, did it? it so what did you get busy get, get putting your attention on? <laughs> it would, it's strategic planning requires you to have an understanding of the route that you're going. But I think for me, there are certain really important principles. The understanding of what is it you want to achieve and why is that so important to you? Yeah. Because unless it's really important to you, why are you bothering? Mm. You know, and I think one of the, the challenges for the, the people that you've been describing is either they were setting the target because they thought that was what you should do because mm. they've read something or been on a course or their boss had said, you've got to do that. Mm. Um, or they weren't clear on the why. Because if the why is incredibly important to you, then you'll want to do it mm. but I think and one of the, the lessons that I've been learning over the last um, certainly over the last year or so is uh, I am a planner um, mm. and I think that comes from years of being a, a, a head teacher or a principal that you you plan the year you plan the curriculum you plan your money you plan mm. um, staffing and so on mm -hmm. and so I don't know whether I, that's how I started off but the need to um, to be able to prove to um, others uh, that you knew what you were doing and to keep 100 staff on track uh, and 500 pupils, there mm -hmm. needed to be strategic plans of all sorts. Yeah. However, what I also recognise, and more and more so, is within that strategic plan, not being so tied up in it's got to look this way, Mm. and giving freedom for it to develop and grow into um, whatever it needs to be so long as you are meeting your ultimate goal and your purpose your why mm. then having that 
uh, that space to allow things to develop. I've just finished reading a book called um, The Surrender Experiment, um, where the guy who wrote the book was able to surrender to life in a way that I think for most of us would be a real challenge. And yet he started off um, meditating at great length, um, taking himself away from the world and ended up running a multi-billion pound um, organisation. But I'm also reminded of you know people I've worked with. Give you an example. I was working with someone on the Uncut show, you know, the Uncut with Gina and Sukdev, where we coach people for an hour, don't know them beforehand, um, and we just see what they bring and where they go. You can find those on YouTube, on the Genuinely You YouTube channel, if you're interested. It's really interesting. Series one is all about coaching people for an hour and taking them forward. And this lady happened to be a coach. Mm -hmm. um, and she was bemoaning the fact that she never had time to get on with working on her business because life got in the way. And part of the conversation is I asked her about how she worked with her clients. And one of the things that became very clear is that if she had a client, she would never let them down. That that was sacrosanct. And so I said to her, it's interesting, isn't it, that you have one rule for your clients and you have a very different rule for you and your business. Mm. How important is it for you to survive and thrive in your business? And she said, oh, it's a 10 out of 10. How prepared are you to, uh, to put in the, the time and the effort to do that? 10 out of 10. Mm. So how is it life gets in the way? Mm. And what struck me very much is that she was fearful of failing. And that if she actually did what she said she was going to do and it didn't work, that she would feel a failure. So like so many people, she decided, well, if I don't actually get going, mm. then I haven't failed. When in reality, that's the bigger failure. And so what I suggested to her is, why don't you make yourself one of your most precious clients? Yeah. And it's actually a piece of advice I give to most businesses Mm. is make your business your biggest and your most important client mm. and spend time on and in your business in a, a very different way. Mm. And I said, if you put in your diary, you decide on the frequency, you decide on the length of time, mm. a client who is your business, give them a name, an alter ego, mm -hmm. and make that time sacrosanct. Do you think that that would make a difference to the way in which your business operated? Mm. And of course it would. Yeah. Um, what you're talking about there is very much... Minute and put a blind down because I literally can't see. Hold on a second. Okay. What you're talking about is, um, is time management um, aspects, really, because, um, you know, how, how am I choosing to use my time? It's kind of the what question. What shall I do now? And I was asked the other day... Um, by uh, another author sort of how do you get how do you get to writing and she like me has multiple uh, plates juggling um, and one of them is writing and that includes the business side of writing as well as the creative side and my answer to, to be sort of brief and slightly flippant about it was that I'm savagely uh, um, savagely selfish about this is the time I do the writing and and time management aspects 
uh, getting into a habit of being good at managing your time is one of the key disciplines. But, but it's a strategic planning is more about why. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's the big question. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to have this goal? Because it's interesting how many people say they want to do something, that something is really, really important to them, and they just faff about. Family phrase, faff means you just get on doing everything else instead of what you want to do. Um, and yet you profess that that's what you want. And what strikes me is very often people have a skill, maybe they're good at strategically planning in their working life, but not in their personal life. And so working life then takes over and the things in their personal life, like self-care, spending time with their loved ones, get squeezed out because there is no strategic plan, time plan in terms of this is important, I'm going to give it priority and I'm going to set boundaries. Mm. And when you talk about being, what was the phrase you used about being savagely selfish, I think? Selfish. Yeah. Um, well, I think selfish is an interesting word because so often it's given a really negative connotation. And I think there are times when we need to protect self and self time in order to be able to be more um, effective when doing other things. Mm. And I know you well enough to know that your writing is such an integral part of who you are that not writing would be detrimental. Sure, but I spent 43 years of my life ignoring that. Yep. Yeah? So, so it's, you know, you sh nobody should listen to me and think that I know what the hell I'm talking about because I spent 43 years of my life ignoring that little niggle. Well, why didn't you be a writer? Why didn't you be a writer? And always finding something else to do. Always. So, so yeah, I have the opportunity to do it. I think it would be a terrible, terrible insult, especially to the people who have moved. So things to enable me to to then to then just be like oh i just got busy with facebook oh i just got busy with email so yeah i am savagely selfish about it i i do say to myself if not now then when and if not you then who yes. so who else is going to write your books rachel and the act of writing is as simple as getting your butt on the chair sofa whatever and doing the writing everything else is sort of you know another subject but, but that time management aspect is, is absolutely crucial. The strategic planning aspect of it though, let's not forget that there are people out there who will use strategic planning as a way of procrastinating. Of course they will. Yeah, the whole life planning stuff. And then not actually, not actually going back to it and saying, did I set out to, if I set out to do this, did I achieve it? They just continue to produce strategic plans. And and like, that's I would, another way of, of just sitting in, in the moment and, and staying stuck. And it, it, it comes across a bit better because you can say, well, I, I'm working to my plan. <laughs> and that brings me on to another really important point, I think, is a strategic plan has to be a plan about the right things. Yeah, you have to answer the question why. Um, and, you know, we've had a number of conversations about you know, the number of times that businesses have a strategic plan to create something that actually doesn't need creating, or by the time it's created, it's defunct and out of, out of time. Yeah. So ultimately, the strategic plan not only has to be very clear about the why, um, but also when asking the why, 
recognizing is there a time frame you know does this have a shelf life that if i don't do it within the, the next however long that it will no longer be a value mm. am i doing this because i'm going through the motions to try and please somebody else but actually it has no meaning and i think how often particularly when i've spoken to people in local government or who are working for you know um an organization that's not clear about its purpose mm. that the enormous amounts of time energy money angst go into planning and actually doing something mm. which at the end of it has very little value mm. and that has a really detrimental effect to those people who are on the project and of course once you spent your time your money and energy they're all finite resources you can't spend them again that's gone and i mean i find that, i mean I, I am a business of one with my writing uh, but i used to manage teams when i managed teams numbers and progress and momentum graphs were extremely useful tools i actually do use those for myself but i have i have no actual plan i do not have a five-year plan that says i will have sold so many books by this time i will have had so many email subscribers by this time and i and i purposely don't do that because i recognize that there's actually very little control i have over that you know yeah. if i had a multi-million pound uh, marketing budget at my disposal such as companies can have or you know let's just say resources other than just myself then maybe there's an argument that i should plan it more and, and set a stretch target and so on and so forth and i think if you can pull lots and lots of people in in onto something obviously you've got to keep them focused and obviously that means having a plan has to be put in place because you just need an easy way to communicate remember why we're here remember the why when it's myself you know it's a little bit easier to keep in my head the why but i have created momentum measures that i do look like look on a monthly basis and i do religiously fill them in but I am not attached to them and I am not working my way towards them. And, and this, the thing I say to myself is, as long as generally speaking, I'm making momentum here, bearing in mind that most of the things that are quantifiable are very meaningless. Unless I'm talking book sales and um, interactions, you know, actual sort of engagement from fan, a lot of them are just like, you know, how many Facebook likers have I got? It's pretty meaningless, actually, because if somebody liking my Facebook page does not mean that they've read my book. And it yeah. certainly doesn't mean that they're recommending my book. Yeah. And on and on and on. But nevertheless, it's one of the metrics that I can get to easily. So it's sort of a, a slight indication of, you know, where am I going? Is there momentum or is there the opposite of them? I mean, you know. And again, I don't look at it on a monthly basis in terms of the trend. I just make a note of the figures and then I move on and get on with the busy uh, creations and the immediate what's. And then in a year's time, I look back at it and I say, well, how did it go? And, and I think sometimes freeing yourself up from having goals in that manner. I, I read somebody recently who was talking about he spends the last quarter of every year doing a real heads up grassroots all of these sort of blue thinking phrases where he unpacks his working life and his personal life so he unpacks his life and he says you know what do i want to experience in my life what do i want to be being yeah and he doesn't talk about it in terms of how many this and how many that and how many the others 
he talks about it in terms of the feelings he wants to have the the um yeah the the actual sort of being and he notes that down and then he goes on and he you know he prioritizes and he manages his time on the basis of is this valuing the experience i want to have and it's a bit woo woo and a bit hippie but i love it it sounds a great way of being we're coming to the end of today's show and i want to just leave you with some thoughts one is if you are dealing with lots of people in your business mm. then and even if you're just a one-man band be really clear about what your why is mm. if yeah. you haven't got that sorted then everything else is so much more difficult if you employ people, engage them in the why and in your core values and then together create a how are you going to achieve whatever the goals are that will support your why. Yeah. The bigger your organisation, the more structured you're going to need to be because, as we've said, it's very much a form of communication. But it's got to be meaningful. And recognize that the skills around strategic planning work in your private life as well as your, your, your business life. But also, don't be so hidebound by the goal setting that you don't leave the freedom to, when, to respond to opportunities when they arise and to be flexible enough that when things aren't working, that you don't just plow on because that's your strategic plan. Because that's been one of the problems with so many businesses that are failing at the moment, that they had momentum, but they didn't listen, they didn't watch, they didn't recognise that actually their momentum was taking them in the wrong way. Now, we've run out of time. Look forward to seeing you very much in the next uh, Genuine Chat and the next um, BBS show. Please go and subscribe to the YouTube Genuinely You channel. You'll find the Uncut series. You'll also find uh, the Genuine Chats are, are there and you can re-listen to uh, many of those. Um, please let us know, are you a strategic planner? Are you a pantser? Mm. somewhere in the middle what works for you and share one tip um, that we can then share with other people who are listening so thanks very much take care you'll find all our books on amazon that's rachel davidson um, and gina gardner but thanks a lot take care bye bye now bye now <laughs>